So, it's cool. I love the way the Lord works, and I know that God has us in the right place at the right time. Amen? Uh, to accomplish his plan and purpose, and so I'm just pleased and privileged to be able to be with you this morning, uh, this second um, Advent Sunday, as we uh, celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you brought your Bibles, would you turn them um, with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. This is my jumping off point. And uh, from there, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, just, we'll see what happens, okay? All right, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. This message is entitled, The Fullness of Time. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, uh, said this. He said, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of um, as sons. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for bringing us together, Lord. And we ask God that you bless and open up the word to us. Give us a fresh appreciation for your work in our hearts and lives. We ask and pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, I'm glad this morning that God always has a plan, folks, and nothing catches him by surprise. Isn't that great? I mean, lots of things catch us by surprise because we're finite in our understanding. We don't know uh, what, what tomorrow holds, but God does. Not, God didn't catch, nothing catches God by surprise. And so I want to walk with you this morning through the pages of history and begin to think about the things that happened before the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Pastor John, so eloquently last Sunday, uh, kind of dealt with some of this, some of, this, some of these things, and I'll expand and elaborate on, on some other things as well, but he talked about the period of uh, 400 years in between um, the last prophet and the coming, of course, the coming of John the Baptist. Another interesting sidelight as I was listening uh, Pastor John's sermon this last week is, is the fact that the, a couple, three times in the, the uh, uh, Apocrypha, that, again, the body of, of material that was written in regards to in, in between, that, that in between time between the Old and the New Testament, um, they make mention uh, two or three different times. They didn't know what to do, and, and they needed guidance, but they chose not to make a decision until a prophet came to help them. And I thought, how interesting, you know, that in that dark period, here they are waiting. They're waiting for God to speak. And so they, no decisions were, the, the key critical decisions were not made because there was not a prophet to help them, to give them guidance. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son. The Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was, earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. God created this world in which we live. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in a garden. God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And folks, that was God's plan. And may I submit to you this morning that that's still God's plan. God's plan originally was for Adam and Eve to, to propagate, to multiply, and they would begin to, to expand and grow, and, and 
beyond the confines of the Garden of Eden, and, and they would begin to subjugate more and more of the land, turning that into the beautiful Garden of Eden in which Adam and Eve were first introduced. And that was God's plan. And ultimately, when Jesus reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we will enjoy, amen, all of the blessings of God, all that God has always wanted us to have throughout the ages. But we know that things did not go according to the original plan, the plan A, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The Bible tells us that first Eve sinned and then Adam sinned by partaking of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And folks, at that time, God did not throw up his hands and say, oh no, I didn't think of this. I didn't know, I didn't possibly, how could this happen? But he knew that in placing a man and a woman in the garden and giving them free will, that they had power to choose. And that's one of the great things about the world in which we live, is that we have the freedom to choose. Choose good, choose evil. People get mad and they wring their hand at God. They say, God, why did you allow this? And so forth. And it really comes back to, a lot of it, to free will. God, you know, we're not robots. You know, we have a choice. And, and tragically, some, you know, many people choose, make wrong decisions. Amen? And, uh, and so bad things happen. And, uh, and, and a lot of it, some of it as a, a result of our own doings and things that we do that displease the heart of God. Adam and Eve sinned. Of course, judgment had to come upon them. And uh, God said to uh, Eve, you know, you're, you know, you're going to serve your husband. You're going to bring children forth in pain. And, and Adam was going to have to work by the sweat of his brow. And the serpent was, uh, uh, of course, doomed to crawl on his belly and so forth. But there's this wonderful, in the middle of that, there's this wonderful promise, and it's the first one, and I wanted to start with that this morning. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And this is the first prophecy of the coming of the Messiah and of what would happen when Jesus came to this world. Very clearly, it was prophesied that he, the coming, the, 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 the Messiah, would bruise you on the head. More specifically, uh, that word in the, in the Hebrew means, means to crush. It means to, to destroy, okay? He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And that's a kind of a reminder of what Jesus went through on the cross and his, you know, the, the, the spike going through his uh, feet and the bruising of his heel, very literally, um, was fulfilled on Mount Calvary. So way back in the beginning, God had a plan, and he knew how it was going to work out. Well, Adam and Eve began to have children, Cain and Abel, and we know that Cain rose up to kill Abel, 
And Cain was therefore marked and, and judged by God. And then they had another child whose name was Seth. He began to have children as well, and the godly line then came through Seth. A man named Enoch was born. We know Enoch because the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. But Enoch had a son who's named Methuselah. Phineas Dake says that the name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. And if you follow the timeline out in, in the history, Methuselah dies just a short time before the flood of Noah's day. So it's kind of an interesting little tie in there. I believe that Enoch knew of the, the judgment, the wrath of God that would be visited upon the earth because of their sin. And so uh, when he gave forth, when God gave him a son, he called him Methuselah. Then we read in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every, every uh, intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry when he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made him. The corruption, the sin of man was so bad back then as it rose up, it was a stench in the nostrils of God, and God purposed that he was going to destroy the earth. The interesting thing there is that God waited. How long did he wait? The Bible, you know, from just kind of studying things out, we glean this fact that God waited 120 years from God deciding, I'm going to destroy the world by a flood, to the flood actually coming, 120 years. Noah has time to, to build his ark. He's a preacher of righteousness who warns the people of the land of the coming judgment and wrath of God. God waits, folks, 120 years. God is never in a hurry. Amen? Folks, if it would have been up to you and me, what would you have done? You, you know, what, what do we do? Something makes us mad? You know, do you, can, can you imagine waiting? Oh, I'm going to wait. God waited 120 years. 120 years where God gave the people of the earth space to repent before he judged the earth. So the Bible tells us, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, that God chose Noah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then, of course, sons came to Noah. Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. God chose Shem to be the godly line that, that uh, the people of God would come from. From Shem, the Bible tells us that God chose a man whose name was Abram. We read in Genesis chapter 12, beginning to read in verse 1, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones, excuse me, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So here is Abram, and God works it out so that Abram goes from his own land 
to a land that God would show him. The Bible tells us in the Hebrews that, that uh, Abraham went by faith, not knowing. But he went, knowing that God has spoken to, has spoke to him. And Abraham went into this land and for a period of time uh, um, lived there and traveled and his nomadic way of life. And there's another interesting passage of scripture found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 16 where God is speaking to Abram about the things that are to come. And he says, he's tell, he tells Abram, your descendants are going to go into Egypt for 400 years. They're going to undergo slavery. It's going to be a hard time. But after 400 years, I'll bring them back out. And, and God waits. And, and he makes reference, again, in this passage of Scripture, to the sin of the Amorites, the people who lived um, just on the other side of the Jordan River from the land that Israel would settle. And uh, he, God specifically says, the time of the Amorites has not yet come. And so God had purposed that the, the people, the Amorites, knowing how evil they would become, that they too would be destroyed. But God waits. And when we study things out again, over 400 years, God waits until judgment is finally brought upon these people who continue to grieve the heart of God. But God waits. God chose Abram. And then the Bible tells us that God chose Abram's son Isaac instead of Ishmael. And out of Isaac's union with his wife, Two sons were born, Jacob and Esau. And again, God chose Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Reuben is the oldest, and God chooses to reject him because of his immorality. Simeon and Levi, the next two, are also passed over because of their ruthless anger, their temper. But along comes the fourth son, whose name was Judah, and in Genesis chapter 49, verses 10, the prophecy comes to the tribe of Judah. And, and this, there's this other wonderful prophecy. It says there, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from him uh, from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs. And the obedience of the nations is his. So from... Adam and Eve to um, all throughout that, and then Abram and the godly line, and then Jacob. And then the Bible tells us that God chose Judah. For out of Judah shall the scepter be. And of course, from Judah, God chose another man who was David, be the second king of Israel. God rejected Saul because of his gross sin, his rebellion against God. He chose David, who, had a, who was a man after God's own heart. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and verse 13, this passage where it says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And again, the promise came to the Davidic line in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, I will establish those of his kingdom forever. And in verse 16 of the same chapter, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So God chose 
David, who was king of Israel. And God, throughout the time, followed through that godly line. We read these prophecies in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And again in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 it says, Then a shoot will bring forth from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And so there are, there are all these wonderful prophecies. God beginning to work and beginning to show what his plan was going to be. And so all throughout time, there's this sense of anticipation. Not only as, as God chooses, but as God continues to speak to his people. And so we know also many things from the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah, about what would happen. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Amen? So there is a prophecy that a virgin shall conceive. Impossible in the eyes of man. But in the eyes of God, no problem. The Bible tells us also in Deuteronomy, excuse me, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It shall be built again with a plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Way back in the days of prophet Daniel, God spoke and said, the temple's going to be rebuilt. All of the beauty and the splendor. And, and God brought along a, a terrible man named Herod. And, and, and Herod, one of, one of his projects was to build this temple. And Herod's temple was just a thing of great beauty and splendor back in that day. It took many, many years for that project to be completed. Isn't it amazing, folks, who God chooses to use, amen, for his plan and purpose? Sometimes we get all upset over what's going on in our world. And, you know, we just went through this election thing in November. And, oh, what's going to happen? But you know what? God's in control. Amen? Amen. He's still king of kings and lord of lords. He knows what he's doing. And God can use anybody to accomplish his plan and purpose. And, folks, I submit to you this morning that God can and will use Donald Trump. Amen? Okay. <laughs> I don't know, some, that's, you know, he's got some things going on, and sometimes we Christians, we raise our eyebrows at some of the things that he said, and done justifiably so, but, but I believe that God will use him, amen, for his kingdom and for his glory. All right, the Bible also prophesies that Jesus was born, would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be born there. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says... As for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the, the, the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for, for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
So back in the days of Micah, God prophesies and he says, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Problem. Now we know that through the godly line, God chose uh, Joseph, um, you know, the, the Davidic line, so that that prophecy would be fulfilled. Mary, if you study things out, comes from the, Levit the Levitical side of it. They come together and they are, they are betrothed to be married. Problem, they live in Nazareth. Prophecy says the baby has to be born in Bethlehem. What's going to happen? Folks, God turns the whole world upside down. Caesar, way off in Rome, makes a decree that all of the, tax, all of the world should be taxed. Everybody has to go back to their home, their origin place. And so as, as everybody throughout all of the Roman Empire is just going here and going, and, and God, the, the, think of the turmoil. Think of all of the travel and the roads are, are crowded and clogged with people because everybody's trying to, to obey the command of Caesar to register and to pay their taxes. And so in the midst of all of this chaos confusion, here is Mary and Joseph making the trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem so that prophecy might be fulfilled. Isn't that amazing, folks? That God used... Caesar in Rome, and, and that God, you know, all of the world, the known world, at least in the Roman Empire, is, is they're moving around and they're, they're, they're trying to be faithful to this edict. But ultimately, the purpose of that was so that prophecy might be fulfilled. And so again, I take great comfort in that, folks, knowing that, that uh, God's in control, knowing that, that he can and will move heaven and earth in order to accomplish his plan and purpose. I take a lot of comfort from another passage of scripture found in Proverbs chapter 21, the first verse, where it says this, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So folks, whenever you are tempted to feel discouraged, and you may look at our country and our government and, and the everything that's going on, saying, oh, no, what are we going to do? Folks, all of these things have happened for a reason. All it's, God is just, just at work. And I just love it, folks, when the liberal pundits just end up with egg on their face. You know, right? And they were saying, oh, you know, Hillary Clinton, she's going to make it. And, you know, and Hillary Clinton is already planning the transition to the White House. And she's already, you know, and she's, She's ignoring states that she shouldn't have because she's so confident in the win. And that was just so cool to sit that night and just to watch, you know, and to listen to the liberal pundits trying to explain things away. And, oh, well, you know, and I, it's, just, it's awesome because people may look and they, they may say, oh, things are going to be this way and this is what's going to happen. But, you know, ultimately it's up to God. Amen? Amen. And, and whether, whether it would have been one or the other, God's still in control and God's still going to work and use whoever is in position of power. Whether we're talking about a local, locally, a county, state, or federal, God's in control. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And folks, we can take 
great comfort in that. And so we come back to the passage of Scripture that I started with this morning, Galatians 4, 4, and 5. When the fullness of time came, all throughout history, God working, bringing people into place, bringing this nation up, putting this nation down, and, and finally the time came. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? Amen. Praise the Lord.